So when I uh, put Genesis 22 in the bulletin, how many of you just know that reference by heart? That is, if, um, if I'm to say it, the one sticking point with non-Christians on the character of God, Genesis 22, that, that is the spot where most non-Christians struggle with God. And so we're going to talk about it today, but from a slightly different perspective, okay? This is Abraham takes Isaac to Mount Moriah. But before I get there, I want to say two things that color, that I hope will color everything else that follows them. It goes like this. The first thing is this, that God doesn't interrupt your life in your situation. He doesn't speak into your life because everything in your life is just special, hunky-dory, utopian. Right? God doesn't speak into your life because everything's perfect. God speaks into your life because he's calling you out of a reality into a new life. The second one is this. He doesn't call you into that new life so that you can just fit in and mold into the background and fade away in the new situation. He calls you into that new life so that you can then be a voice for him there. With that being said, let me get to some of my Genesis topic here. Sometime later, and we'll go into what this is sometime later in, in just a second. God tested Abraham's faith. And Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah and go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Like I said, this is that text. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. And then he chopped the firewood for the burnt offering and set out for the place of God had told him about. On the third day of the journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, he told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham said, and they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it and tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood, and Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. I'm going to stop right there for a sec. Before we get any further to this, I want to go through so that you know the context of what I'm talking about when I say God doesn't call you out of the situation you're in because everything was perfect. And he didn't call Abraham out of a situation that was perfect. He called him out of Haran, a land, the land of his ancestors, into a new land in order to bless them. You can look in Genesis 12 for that story. And he doesn't call you into that new place to fit in and just become part of the background there. And what had happened in the new land is there was child sacrifice going on. 
That's what the nations were doing. And so that's what's going on here. I just want to go through this a little. This is the high spots of high and low spots of Abraham's career. And as you hear this, I just want to check in with you just a little bit to let you remember that, that Abraham is the father of faith, if you will. And if the father of faith is this way, look what he can do with you. Because he can do that with a man who does this stuff. Here it is. So Genesis 12, leave your country, leave behind the reputation of your family, and go to a place which I will show you and depend on me, God says, and I'll bless the nations. That's Genesis 12. But in Genesis 12, 10, there's a famine, and he ends up in Egypt. And he's so dependent on God, he says to his wife, tell everybody I'm your brother because I don't want them to kill me because if I'm married to you, they'll kill me and they'll take you. And so Pharaoh marries his sister because that's the lie they told. Well, it comes about that Pharaoh does this. He says, why have you done this to me? After a certain amount of bad stuff befalls Pharaoh. And here's the point that I want to make sure in this, that you hear. When somebody outside of a life of faith corrects your ethics as a believer, you need to take note. Abraham is the father of faith, and here is Pharaoh. I, I think you can make a fairly strong statement that Pharaoh is not a believer in Yahweh, the Lord of Abraham. And he's going, what's up with that? How come you lied to me and put me in this spot? So just take that for a second and just hear it. When somebody outside the faith corrects the life of a believer this way, or looks at your ethics and goes, what? You ought to take that as a beginning of a shaken by the shoulders and adjust your life. And so he does. He is chosen. And so pretty soon in Genesis 13, he, he has his nephew Lot and they start fighting. And Abraham does really a selfless thing. He says to Lot, we're standing here. If you, you pick the land you want and I'll go to the other side. If you go left, I'll go right. And if you choose right, I'll go left. You choose but we're not going to fight over it. That's a good spot to be in. That, hooray! So we, we had kind of a high point called out of his thing. We, now he's lying to Pharaoh. And the next thing, he's doing a good thing here with, with Lot. But Lot makes some choices in uh, 14 that requires his rescuing. And he, that's kind of a low spot. But here's the high spot. Abraham sac- uh, uh, goes and, and rescues him and refuses to take any of the loot from the pl- or the plunder, you know, we're not just all pirates. We don't just take everything we can get and say, you know, take everything and let and get out of here. And he, and and if you want to know more about that, that's in uh, Genesis fourteen seventeen, where Abraham um, offers even a portion of it to Melchizedek. That's a name you should recognize when it says Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Um, that's in Genesis fourteen seventeen, but he doesn't take any of the spoils. So, if you want to hear echoes from the text, when Achan steals gold from Jericho, that's the opposite of what Abraham, the father of faith, had done. See, Genesis fifteen, God speaks into his life. Look. Things are going to go so amazing for you. You're going to have a kid. There's going to be a bunch of them. And the promise is spoken that Sarah will have a kid. 
a child, specifically Sarah. And there's some other stuff, if you'll look at Genesis 15 that are in there. It says this. Before you're a great nation, you're going to end up in Egypt and you're all going to be slaves because there's not enough of you yet and the sin of the Amorites hasn't filled up to overflowing. In other words, it's not time for the Amorites to be judged yet and to do that prematurely is not God's way. But think about that. Right in the middle of the promise that you're going to be a blessed to be a, you're blessed to be a blessing. You're going to have children. You're going to be a great nation. Is the promise you're going to be a slave? Your your kids are going to be a slaves for a bit. It's right there. Okay, so he comes out of that, and right out of that promise in Genesis 16, they get tired of waiting, and 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 Sarah says to him, "Well, take Hagar as and have a baby because it's not going to happen with me." There's the biblical picture of family, isn't it? Don't we have that sort of idea that the biblical idea of family is a mom and a dad and two kids? I hate to tell you that's kind of an American idea of family, but the biblical idea of family is a mess. And if you read the Old Testament for very long, the the family is a mess and God is at work in the family. I want to make sure we say that God didn't create the mess, but humans make the mess and God continues to work. But anyway, so Sarah gives Abraham his maid, her maid, to have a kid with. And right after that, are you ready for this? Genesis 17, God brings in circumcision. Just hear this in the context for a second. I don't know um, what's going on completely in the story, but I know this, that if I, if I put this all side by side, that Abraham has a baby with another woman, and the next thing you see is circumcision, you can almost hear God grabbing him by the shoulders and saying, this will not rule you anymore. Your sexuality is not the single most important thing in your life. God is. Now, I don't know that, but it, it just sort of feels like God's shaking him by the shoulders and saying, stop it. We're not doing it anymore. You will, you will rely on me. That's, that's uh, Genesis 17. And Sarah gets renamed, and the promise is re-spoken in 18. And the three speak to Abraham um, just before Sodom and Gomorrah is des- destroyed. They have a little meal there, and Abraham intercedes for what's going on at Sodom and Gomorrah. If there's 40 good people there, don't do it. Okay, if there's 40 there, I won't do it. How about 30? If there's just 30 there, will you do it? No, I won't do it. If, if Abraham is interceding for the people that are going to be destroyed, how come the Christians aren't behaving that way nowadays? Aren't we, isn't he our father in faith? I just want to, this is an aside statement here. If Abraham, right in the middle of God's judgment, says, mercy, Lord, how can God's people not be crying mercy today in those similar situations? Interceding. Matter of fact, if you go to Isaiah 59, God puts on his armor to go to war because the people aren't interceding. It's a big deal. Abraham, here's the high point of faith. Anyway, well, Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed in Genesis 19. Then, right after that, another spot, Abraham goes to another country, and what's he do? 
Sarah, tell them you're my sister. Haven't we heard this story before? How'd it go last time? Pharaoh said to him the first time, how could you do this to me? You put me in a bad spot. So what does Abimelech say? What's up with that? Your ethics stink. Knock it off. How come you put me in that spot? That's what Abimelech says after he marries Sarah. I say it again. When somebody outside the church grabs the church by the shoulders and says, your ethics stink, it's time to change your ethics. It's time to change. That's a wake-up call. Maybe we shouldn't do this anymore. Whatever it is, that behavior. Genesis 21, Isaac is born. And the second Isaac is born, the child of the promise happens. Do you know what happens in the family of faith? Sarah says, I want Ishmael and Hagar out of here. This is the father of faith. Is he a mess? Look what God can do with him. How's your life doing? How can God be at work in your life? If God can work in that mess, he can probably be at work in your life because I don't, you know, I I would venture to say at this point in time, there's probably not too many polygamists in the room having kids with multiple people and kicking them out of the house. Okay? And just, just an aside. But God is at work. When he calls you out of a foreign land, it's not because everything's just perfect. He's calling you so he can speak into your life and give you a new reality. When your new reality needs adjusting, he's going to speak into that. But when he, when he calls you into that new reality, he's not calling you in to be the wallpaper. He's calling you in to be his voice. And if you won't do it, then correction is coming. And so here we are, right here in the midst, Abraham in a land where they're doing child sacrifice. And what's he doing? Child sacrifice. Let's read on. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, yes, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy. The angel said, don't hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God and you have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in the thicket, and he took the ram and sacrificed it as the burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yaire, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, The people still use that name as a proverb, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven, this is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me and not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. Let me say it this way. If you've been grabbed by both shoulders 
by the Lord and sort of shook really soundly to have your life adjusted, you know exactly what's going on with Abraham here. It is literally almost 800 years before they start practicing child sacrifice in the Hebrew people again. And if you wonder about that and you say, well, what? There's no, no promise of child sacrifice or no, ex- there's no word about that in there. If you go to Chronicles and you see this line in the Kings and it says this, this king was more evil than the one any before him and they caused their children to pass through the fire. That's an idiom, a figure of speech for child sacrifice. But from this moment on Mount Moriah to that moment, it doesn't happen. God has shook his shoulders very soundly and said, let's not do this anymore. Even though it's what the Amorites are doing in the land that he's living. And when they come back from Egypt... That's at the spot where they're told to wipe out the Amorites because the sin of the land is overflowing and it's time. That's God's judgment, not our judgment. We don't get to quibble with that. We get to worry about this one, these two little things. When God called you out of the world you were in, was it perfect? Was everything just right with you in the world? You were sitting in your own little utopia and then God spoke into your life? No. Because you're not in a utopia now, are you? My life's better, and it's still not a utopia. But he called me out of that life and into this one because it was a better place for me and those around me. When he speaks into your life and calls you out of the country, he says, don't go back there anymore. Come into this new land where I'm speaking in your life. By the way, that sort of explains what's going on when he says in uh, Genesis 24, right in that area where he says to his servant, go find Isaac, a son from the land that we came from, but don't under any circumstances take my kid there. Don't go back. Now, some things go wrong in that storyline. Isaac then pretty soon says to Abimelech, tell them she's, you're my sister. And haven't we heard this story again? And then pretty soon the boys are fighting, and Isaac and Esau marries a couple of women, and where's Jacob end up? He ends up back in the land of his forefathers, and God is going to start and do this a new exodus out of that land. He's going to start over almost. But when God calls you out of the land, don't go back. Come into the new place where he's called you to be. But when you get there, don't just meld in. When he's talking to you and he's called you into this new reality, it's for one reason. He wants his voice heard in that new reality just as much as he wanted it heard in the one you used to be in. How do I say this another way for you? God loves you deeply and he pours love into you in order to change your life. And that love is meant for you, but it is also meant to flow through you to other people. You have this old reality, this old place, 
where you used to be, and God grabbed you by the shoulders, if you will, and he went, stop it. I know, I know that's, that's bad image in this world because you can't shake people, but you get what I'm saying. Is there a spot in your life where God has shook you by the shoulders and said, stop it, we're not doing this anymore? Sometimes, I hate to say this, he's even used non-believers to go, what's up with that? Stop it. How come you put me in that spot? And it's okay. Receive the correction because it's part of the new world you're being called into. A world of love that the Lord sees you in and and even though you're here, that he might even speak your voice into this reality and say, there's this thing over here in your life. Let's not do that anymore. My experience is I can pretty much handle one change at a time. Maybe you're the same way. Because you've held nothing back, the world will be blessed through you on a mountain where God provides. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for today, for your love, for the way you take such amazing care of us. As you call us out of the old reality that we're in, we thank you for the new one that you called us into, which is new life, a life filled with hope and joy and your love. May we then speak from that love into other people's lives as well. In your precious name, amen.